A working relationship between an offensive play caller and a quarterback is always going to be important, but for South Carolina's football program this year, it's going to hold even more significance on the football field. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also a staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank you all so much for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch here today. We are free and available both on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. In a little bit on today's show, I'm going to have another conversation with a fellow SEC host of the Locked On Podcast Network in Locked On Gators host Brandon Olson discussing the series between South Carolina and Florida, <clears throat> excuse me, and what all is going on down in Gainesville heading into year two under Billy Napier. But before we touch on all of that, I want to discuss the biggest offensive storyline for South Carolina's football program heading into this fall. And it's undoubtedly what I was going to happen between Dow Loggins and Spencer Rattler, specifically Spencer Rattler's workload. There are multiple things that we can point to that indicate that Spencer Rattler is going to have a higher volume of passes this upcoming season. First of all, Dow Loggins' offense is a quarterback-centric offense. South Carolina's new play caller has said this since his arrival. Spencer Rattler is an uber-talented quarterback. He's a guy that he wants to utilize as much as he can, and that means that Spencer Rattler is going to be throwing around the football more than he probably did this past year. The other thing is, Spencer Rattler, this offense, there are some question marks at certain spots. You talk about the running back position, for example. There is a lack of proven SEC production on this roster right now. It doesn't mean that guys aren't capable of getting the job done. It just means that South Carolina right now, there's not that bell cow, so to speak. That one guy that you can identify as someone that can sort of take the reins at that position and hold on to him throughout the entire 2023 season. Here's the other thing. South Carolina did not really add all that much through the transfer portal. Now, I'm talking, of course, outside of the tight end room, as the Gamecocks did add Trey Knox and Joshua Simon. And yes, they did add a guy in Eddie Lewis from Memphis at the wide receiver position. But otherwise... There wasn't really a whole lot of transfer additions to the roster this year like there was back in the 2021 offseason. And so because of all of these different components, Spencer Rattler, he's going to have to carry the load more offensively. And with Spencer Rattler likely carrying a bigger load, one of two things is going to happen. The first thing that could take place is Spencer Rattler shines and unleashes more performances that are reminiscent of what he did against Tennessee and Clemson this past fall. 
Dow Loggins and Spencer Rattler are both completely in sync with one another. Dow Loggins understands how to best utilize Spencer Rattler's strengths. He continuously puts him in great situations, situations that he is comfortable with, which, admittedly, a lot of times last year, you could not say that. And, at the same time, Spencer Rattler continues to show growth in areas that all started last season, and that includes things like stepping up in the pocket more when he's got pressure coming from the edges and he hasn't found an open man yet, and also taking control of the offense from more of a leadership standpoint. And it's not to say that, of course, Spencer Rattler didn't have leadership qualities once he arrived at South Carolina, but Spencer Rattler has also made this clear. When he got here, he wanted to earn his stripes. He did not want to come in here and act like this was basically his team from the jump. He wanted to earn the respect of his teammates, and I think that he did a great job of really sticking to that. And now this spring, there's been reports that have come out of South Carolina's camp that Spencer Rattler has really become more of a vocal guy, has become more of a leader on South Carolina's offense. Now here's the thing. That was sort of the ceiling version of what all could happen with Spencer Rattler having a bigger load on his plate. But there's also another route that this could all go down. And that is Spencer Rattler, say, continues to be inconsistent or maybe even gets injured because maybe there's too much that gets put on his plate. And maybe some of the other issues on offense just accumulate too much to the point where Spencer Rattler cannot overcome them by himself. I mentioned the running back position earlier. We didn't even mention the offensive line spot. That's a big question mark right there. Run blocking was not exactly all that great throughout spring practice and going into the spring game. There's a question at the offensive tackle position regarding pass protection. Tashawn Watermaker was not exactly fantastic in that aspect in the spring game. Of course, you could say he has room to improve, but he's also going into his third season here at South Carolina. He's got a second-year offensive tackle in case and Harry behind him. And then at left tackle, you've lost Jalen Nichols now, for the majority of the season, based on what Shane Beamer has said since that injury took place. You might have to start maybe some group of five transfers at that spot. Maybe true freshman Marquis Anderson gets a look at that spot. Either way, you've got question marks at that spot. You don't have many proven receivers behind Antoine Juice Wells. Xavier Leggett has shown flashes, but again, we've yet to see him be able to put it all together consistently throughout an entire season. Amari Brown, he's got his role in the slot. He's a speedster. He can take the top off of a secondary, but there's not really a whole lot else he's maybe going to offer beyond that. Nicholas Harper, again, could have a really good season, could do better than expected. He's transitioning to the wide receiver position fully for his first ever year at that spot. That is not easy to do, especially in the SEC. Eddie Lewis, he could kind of be like the Josh Van, the wide receiver court this year, a guy that could be maybe a reliable second or third option out of that group. But then behind all of those guys, there's not really a whole lot. And again, in terms of proven productivity at this level, all of this could combine to the point where it handicaps the offense. And defenses are able to key in on Spencer Rattler even more so as this season progresses, which could lead to maybe Dow Loggins has to simplify things on the offensive end, and it makes it even easier for opposing defenses to dissect and diagnose 
what all is about to happen pre-snap. You certainly do not want to reach that sort of breaking point. But I think you can all tell where I'm going with all this. Undoubtedly, Spencer Rattler's usage is going to be a big storyline this next season. Because, again, it could be a boomer bust situation here. South Carolina's offense could thrive with Spencer Rattler throwing the football more because maybe you say he's got a better play caller now that's going to be helping him out. A guy that will truly be able to run this offense to his strengths and sort of help everybody else out at the same time. Or you could say that Spencer Rattler, maybe he'll have too much on his plate. Maybe all the other issues or question marks in this offense go unresolved throughout the majority of the season, and it all piles up on him. Either way, it's going to be intriguing to see how Dow Lockins utilizes Spencer Rattler and subsequently how everything works out for Spencer Rattler and the South Carolina offense in 2023. Now, in just a couple of moments, we're going to kick it on over to my conversation with Locked On Gators host Brandon Olson, where we'll be discussing things regarding the series between South Carolina and the Florida Gators. But before we get into all that, I do want to let y'all know that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. Again, that's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Right now, the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets are currently tied at one game apiece in the NBA Finals. And regarding the NBA Finals MVP odds, well, FanDuel has got a clear-cut favorite here. Nikola Jokic, or the Joker, currently has odds listed at minus 260. Jimmy Butler is second on the list with odds being listed at plus 430. Jamal Murray is listed at plus 4,200. And Caleb Martin, who was arguably the best player for the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, is listed at plus 32,000. Who do you think could win the NBA Finals MVP? If you want to put down money on a particular bet regarding that, then visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel is an official sports betting partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks Podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Day. And before we continue our show, real quickly, thank you to all of you everydayers for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your daily choice for South Carolina Gamecock sports coverage. We're going to continue talking to some other 
Locked On hosts around the SEC on today's show. I talked with Locked On Vols host Eric Kane on yesterday's show, and now today I'm going to be joined by a host that does a plethora of things. He covers the Florida Gators, he helps to cover the New York Giants, and he even runs his own website. I am pleased to be joined by Locked On Gators host Brandon Olson to discuss the Florida Gators matchup with the Gamecocks and also what all's going down there in Gainesville. Brandon, how are you doing, my friend? Fantastic. It's June, baby. Yeah, we're getting closer and closer to the start of the season. Obviously, I think we're now closer to the start of the season than we are to the end of this past year. So it always feels it feels good whenever we get to that point. And uh, some preview magazines are starting to come out as well. And now I'm going to be getting my edition from Phil Steele. His name's hard to pronounce. Sorry. <laughs> but um, but anyways, let's get into South Carolina and Florida. So obviously, this past fall, uh, if you're a South Carolina Gamecock fan, you probably hated every single second of the matchup. South Carolina got obliterated in Gainesville. There's no other way to put it. Florida just pounded the rock down their throats in the running game. And uh, it was honestly probably one of the best wins for Florida this past season. Brandon, would you agree with that? That it was maybe the biggest feather in their cap type of victory in 2022? Yeah, it was definitely up there. I'd, I'd probably say top two like I don't I don't think you could top Utah I think the Utah game is just incredible you know going in as underdogs to the number seven team in the country that eventually won the Pac-12 and winning that one but the South Carolina game was probably the most complete game we saw from the Gators in the entire season where I mean I wish that defense showed up half half the time that would have been awesome (laughs) yeah yeah well obviously again you know for South Carolina it it was really bad in the moment, but maybe it was also one of the best things that could have happened to the Gamecocks because, of course, Sacramento did turn around and beat Tennessee and Clemson, which I have to admit, going back, if you offered that on the table to South Carolina fans, they would hate the Florida part, but you tell them you're going to beat Tennessee and Clemson, they'd probably take it nine times out of ten if I had to guess on that point. But, um, you know, the relationship between Florida and South Carolina, it's been really interesting since the Gamecocks joined the SEC. At the beginning, of course, Florida probably never worried about South Carolina because you had Steve Spurrier in the 90s while South Carolina was trying to sort of get their feet under them in the SEC. And then the last 15, 17 years, it's kind of been different because, of course, Steve Spurrier wound up eventually coming to Columbia. Then it was another former Florida coach and Will Muschamp, although he did not do nearly as much as Steve Spurrier did up here. And now, you know, we're back to having two young up-and-comers in Shane Beamer and Billy Napier. So, Brandon, my question to you is, how do Gator fans currently view their annual matchup with South Carolina? I think right now a lot of Gators fans... And this is not to be rude. Don't think about it too much, mostly because they're busy just chomping their own ankle right now with, with the current state of the program. Like their their biggest focus is Miami's winning and recruiting, Florida State's winning on the field, Georgia's beaten it's just everybody. And so so it's rough. Uh there, there's a lot of attention put there. And then now Tennessee's beating Florida and and so it's rough. <laughs> it's rough, but it's a, it's a game I look forward to always. You know, you mentioned Spurrier, Muschamp. I was just like, I, like I have to just love this matchup every year. Yeah, of course. And you know, again, Florida fans—they probably are feeling good right now because you know, South Carolina was the one team they were able to just absolutely bulldoze this past season. Of course, the Gamecocks are going to look to try to change that in 2023, and that sort of leads into 
my next question. Uh, you know, Florida and South Carolina, they're going to be meeting up about halfway into the season, which is a bit of an odd spot for both teams to be facing one another. You don't see that too often, but Florida is going to be playing Vanderbilt before they play the Gamecocks, and then they got a bye week after your matchup in Columbia. While for South Carolina, their bye week is going to be coming before their game against Florida, and then they got a really interesting road trip against the Missouri Tigers who have been a thorn in their side for the past couple of years. So, Brandon, just based on the schedule dynamic and sort of what you can glean from Florida and South Carolina side of things, what are your initial thoughts surrounding the matchup between both schools in this upcoming season? I feel like for Florida, they're still going to be figuring themselves out at that point in the season, which sounds weird. But when you look at the start of the season, it's there's Utah, which is a great game. And then you have McNeese State and Charlotte's in there. And Tennessee is going to be a test too. But Florida's either going to be heavy favorites against Charlotte and McNeese State and then likely underdogs against Utah and Tennessee. So we're still going to be trying to figure out the middling ground for this team. And then of course, I mean, you know, you cover South Carolina. The thing is always Spencer Rattler. Who's, who's showing up? Is it Heisman candidate Spencer Rattler or is it whatever we saw in Gainesville last year, Spencer Rattler? Yeah, no, that's, that's a very fair point. Rattler definitely did not have his best game against Florida. And again, of course he did manage to turn around those last couple of weeks, but yeah, for South Carolina's end, you know, What's going to be interesting for the Gamecocks is they got a really tough September. They got to play Drake May and the Tar Heels in week one, which I'm not going to say it's going to be a loss, but I'm certainly not going to act like it's going to be an easy game nonetheless. And then, of course, you got to play Georgia in week three. And if that ain't enough, you got to play him in Athens. And then you got to play Tennessee in week five. And Tennessee's going to literally want your heads after what happened last November. So for South Carolina, it might be uh, where's your confidence at and how many guys are still healthy once you go through all of those teams? It's going to be an absolute blender for South Carolina in terms of the football field. So uh, you throw that in and then Vanderbilt facing the Gators the week before. I know the Gators are going to want that game back badly. I expect y'all to definitely get that game back. And then Missouri again, been at the one South Carolina side for several years. There could be a lot of emotions riding for both of those teams, and it might depend on how well they sort of channel all of that. So a lot of interesting dynamics for both teams heading into their matchup this next season. All right, continue our conversation here with Locked On Gators host Brandon Olson. Now, Brandon, at the time that we're recording this show, um, the administrators and coaches are currently down in Destin, Florida, and they're seemingly trying to figure out if they're going to play eight or nine conference games in 2024 and beyond. But at the same time, uh, they might have not gotten anywhere up to this point. <laughs> but nonetheless, let's say in a hypothetical scenario that we go with the 366 or nine game conference game scheduling model. Do you think South Carolina, whether Florida Gator fans want them or not, could end up as a permanent rival for Florida? And if so, how would the Gator fans feel about that? Uh, I think that they could end up being the permanent rival. And I think no matter who it is, Gators fans are going to be upset. Just genuinely, I think that, and I, I've said this a lot on my own show, so I don't care if anybody gets upset by it, but I think Florida has, as in the University of Florida, has arguably the most toxic fan base in, in college football, um, just internally. And I think they just hate so many other schools that no matter who they get, they're going to be like, oh, well, why don't we play these guys? So I think no matter who it is, they're going to hate. But I just hope, I just hope that they like channel the hate to the permanent matchups, actually, and not like, oh, well, we play this team every other year. 
now we hate them more. Like personal, if it's South Carolina, congratulations. I now hate you more than I hate most other programs. <laughs> like that's how it is for me. I I hate the the person across from me there. So, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that if it is South Carolina, then I I hope Florida Gators fans get on board with it too because I know I'm ready to hate. I'm 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 a hater, so I'm I'm cool with it. Right, right, yeah, and I know for Florida's end, you know, Georgia obviously is sort of the first school that comes to mind, and that would very likely be the case probably if it was a 1-7 model especially, but I know that Tennessee gets thrown out there. My personal opinion, besides it being a 90s fling between both schools battling for the SEC East, I'm sorry, maybe it's just me. I don't see what the luster is with that matchup as much, but I could see that being like the second matchup, and then after that, Then Florida sort of, it's like, you know, okay, which game do you want? Maybe throw in LSU, but that's also long distance for both schools. How do the conference feel about that? You know, again, a lot of factors involved in all that. And then for South Carolina, they don't have a lot of natural rivalries maybe outside of Georgia. But the question for South Carolina fans is, uh, do you want to play Georgia every single year? I don't think anybody does right now. So, again, definitely a lot riding on what all happens this week if the administration has actually uh, made up any ground in their conversations, which – Remains to be seen regarding all that. But all right, Brandon, let's get into more Florida Gator-centric talk here. So I'll start off with probably the biggest question, which I'm not going to say is your head coach and his status, which we will get into in a minute or two. I'm going to start off with the quarterback situation. Obviously, you guys got Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. Depending on who you ask, you know, Graham Mertz might have a lot of talent. Maybe they didn't utilize him correctly, or Graham Mertz is an absolute bust, and Florida is going to be reaching here and just hoping that somehow they're going to be able to untap maybe any potential he's got left in the tank. Um, And then behind him, it's a who's who of guys that is probably not ready to play right now. So what should uh, Gamecock fans glean from y'all's current quarterback situation? Uh, That it's not great. (laughs) That that It's as simple as that. I think Graham Mertz. Yeah, I I think Graham Mertz is getting a lot more flack than he deserves, I'll say. Um, I don't think he's amazing by any stretch of the word, but I do think he's going to be better in Gainesville than he was in Madison, Wisconsin. But most of that is just due to, well, he was operating in like a 1903 before the forward pass was legal kind of offense in Wisconsin. So I'm hoping that now, you know, maybe not going under center all the time, more play action, easier completions will be there for Graham Mertz. Cause honestly, I don't need him to be great. I don't expect Graham Mertz to be great. I, I need him to be serviceable. That's all I care about. And I think he can be that. Will he ever be more than that? Probably not. But again, that's not what I need. And Jack Miller the third behind him. Look, I mean, Jack Miller the third's been here since what January 2022 now. Hasn't exactly panned out. He got one game that he got to actually play in, and that was the, the Las Vegas Bowl against uh, Oregon State. And that was one of the worst games I've ever seen. Granted, he had like four practices before the bowl because he was the entire season dealing with a thumb injury. You got Max Brown. He's playing baseball right now. Like there's not a ton in the quarterback room right now. And then you got a few walk-ons like Jordan Lyle, Parker Lisey. But obviously we are not expecting true freshman walk-ons to be the starting quarterback here. So it's Graham Mertz. The ceiling isn't very high with him, but I think the floor is higher than it was last year. And I mean, I'll, I'll take that seven days a week yeah you know at least billy's not gonna be asking him to line up under center like 85 percent of the time when he's out there on the field so that's got to be at least a positive start there so he's going to actually have a little bit more space between him and these opposing defenses in the sec before he has to get rid of that football and that leads into my next question i know that ricky pearsall is coming back and i think pearsall is a really solid wide receiver for sort of his role 
But I don't really know maybe if he can be that number one. You know, George, obviously, they got Rob Rod Thomas now and Dominic Lovett, who are expected to be sort of their top two guys. South Carolina's got Antoine Juice Wells. Tennessee might point to Brew McCord, maybe some of their returning wide receivers. Who's going to be that go-to guy for Florida? Is it Ricky Pearsall? Do you think there's maybe a young buck that could step up and show out for the Gators this fall? I think it's going to be slick. Ricky Pearsall is just such a good route runner to me that – I'm excited to see if they actually let him work inside out. When he was at Arizona State, he played out wide. He played in the slot, played almost not exclusively as a slot in Florida. But last year, he did a lot of work from there. I'd like to see him go inside out. Caleb Douglas is someone I'm excited to see. He was a true freshman last year, made a few big plays. Granted, it was against Eastern Washington, but he showed kind of the vertical threat ability. Scored, uh, I believe he scored against Texas A&M as well with a deep touchdown there, like He's made some plays as your stereotypical X receiver. He's big, he's fast, he ain't agile, but he can make some plays there. So I'm, I'm curious to see him step up, and then I'm kind of just hoping a bunch of people can play their role, you know? I think Florida has – Ricky is, to me, a, a top 25 receiver in football, and behind them there's just a massive drop-off of can anybody be a number two, and we'll see if that can happen. Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned his route running. I also think that from the little bit I saw, Ricky's got fantastic hands as well. So, you know, it might be a case where, hey, for Florida's offense, you know, you might just want to try to run the ball well, grab Mertz, manage the game, don't make some stupid decisions, and then you get to third down, get yourself in some manageable situations, and then just look for Ricky Pearsall out of the slot position. So that might be the game plan for Florida in 2023. Let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Florida, of course, they lost their defensive coordinator, I believe, to the Arizona Cardinals this offseason and hired Austin Armstrong. I want to say Alabama's linebackers coach. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But um, Armstrong has certainly gotten a little bit of attention already for what all happened in the spring game. Some people say that what he did was egregious in terms of maybe sending a lot of blitzes on the offense. Some people down in Gainesville are saying, hey, I love it. It's exciting. Something we haven't seen in a couple of years with Florida's defense. Uh, what should we make of Austin Armstrong? Could the Gators take a massive step forward on that side of the ball in 2023? Or is Armstrong going to have to work around some personnel deficiencies that y'all might still have in certain spots? Yeah, I think he's going to be a lot more aggressive this year, which is great for me because at the end of the season, I was like, hey, Patrick Tony, I love you. Can you just be a little more aggressive? Um, and then Patrick Tony went to be the safeties coach for the Cardinals. Austin Armstrong came in. Uh, last year, he was the DC for Southern Miss, and then he got hired as the inside linebackers coach for Alabama, was there for like two weeks, um, and, and then chose to come to Gainesville to be the defensive coordinator here. Blitzed 40% of the time last year. He had the eighth most aggressive defense in college football. That's probably going to reign true this year as well. He's going to be incredibly aggressive, a lot of cover three. I think the aggression is going to help a young secondary. Like you got two, whoever you put as your starting safeties have not been starting safeties for more than one game, which was Kamari Wilson against Eastern Washington. So new starting safeties. You got a new boundary corner starting on the outside. You have Jaden Hill going from corner to slot. So a lot's changing in the secondary. I think the best way to supplement that is just get after the quarterback. And Austin Armstrong is going to do that. And also with the spring game, I loved it. Because I, I, I don't care if, if the offense can't adjust to the blitz and try to exploit them with quick passes and getting out wide, then you're going to lose because NFL, not NFL teams, but your opposing teams uh, in the fall are going to blitz you. They're going to see, oh, you can't handle the blitz, so we're going to blitz you. So guess what? Get used to it, adjust, and be better. Otherwise, 
it's going to be a very long fall for Florida Gators fans. Yeah, again, you look at teams like Georgia, Tennessee, and South Carolina, and even Brad White from Kentucky. I mean, I think all those defensive coordinators, they like to be very aggressive. They like to draw up exotic blitzes. So, uh, you know, you, you bring up a great point there. For Florida's offense, look, you know, Austin Armstrong, he might be actually trying to help you a little bit in terms of, hey, let's just send them what we've got in terms of maybe our second-best blitz packages or whatnot and just see if they can handle it. And obviously uh, did not – Offer a lot of optimism on that side of the ball, but of course, still a lot of time to get some things corrected on that side before the season begins. All right, Brandon, let's get into maybe the biggest question um, around the country that is regarding Florida this next season. What does Billy Napier have to do to maybe avoid the seat getting warmer, or is it maybe a hot seat season? I'll let you run with this however you want to, but my main question to you is what is most likely to happen for Florida this next season? They iron out enough issues and maybe they win seven games. They still go to a bowl game or some things pile up and they don't make it to a bowl game. Yeah. I'm expecting basically the same result as last year, six and six, and then go to a bowl game, probably lose that one. But, you know, I'm I'm expecting six wins. still. I think that the defense is going to be significantly better than it was last year. I think the offense is going to be probably less explosive, but more consistent in terms of, you know, Anthony Richardson missing dig routes and slants and curls. I'd like to think Graham Mertz can hit those, but he won't give you, you know, the 65-yard run from the quarterback. That that ain't happening with Graham Mertz there. But uh, I think as far as the hot seat, Billy can do whatever he wants, and he's fine. He, he Like, he's not getting touched. And I don't even care about people talking about the Jaden Rashada situation. I don't care about people talking about six wins back-to-back, and it'd be the first time with three straight losing seasons and Lord knows how long in Gainesville. I don't care about any of that because just Billy Napier's buyout, Florida would have to be paying over the next four years, an average of like $17 million per year if they were to fire Billy Napier. So you're not going to pay seven and a half million to Billy Napier, probably eight or more to your new head coach because you're not going to pay your fired head coach more than him. And then you're still paying Dan Mullen for another couple of years. You got to owe him a million dollars per year for the next few years. So simply put, you're not spending $16 million on your coach in 2024. So Billy Napier's about as safe as you can get unless they go, you know, two wins and the recruiting class falls apart and you lose Lagway and, and all that, which, I mean, I'll knock on wood because anything can happen with the Gators, but very not likely. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned you make a great point with the buyout for Billy Napier. I think that's part of the reason why Will Muschamp honestly survived into a fifth season with the 2020 COVID year, because South Carolina, you know, obviously nobody's Texas A&M. We're not able to just hand out nearly a hundred million dollar contracts like the Aggies can. But, you know, South Carolina would have had to pay Will Muschamp like 15, 16 million dollars a year for, I believe, three or four years that they had gotten rid of in 2020. So, you know, that kind of logistical stuff. Fans obviously don't like to hear it, and they might think, you know, you've just got a reservoir somewhere that's full of cash, but that's just not the way that works. So great points on all of that. So either way, it looks like Billy Napier will be able to make it to 2024. He is Brandon Olson of the Locked On Gators podcast. Brandon, where can all of the Gamecock fans find your work, whether it's the Gators or maybe all the other stuff you do? Yeah, uh, Gators. I mean, Locked On Gators five times a week. We'll be talking about getting uh, high-ranking recruits. Don't worry about that too much, South Carolina fans. Uh, Duly <laughs> noted. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Giants work with GiantsCountryOfSI.com and draft stuff with NFL 33 and Home Line Sports. 
Yeah, as long as you're not trying to take any guys that South Carolina's in the game for, then I think the Gamecock fans, they're okay with y'all getting a couple of recruiting victories. But, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on to today's show. For all you Locked On Gamecock fans, thank y'all for tuning in once again. Have a great rest of your day, and I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.